0: Hello, Agents, and welcome to Podcast 13. Thank you so much for downloading the show and returning to hang out with us. We also have our first round of Patreon shoutouts today from wonderful and tremendously helpful Patreon supporters. So we would like to thank Autumn Blue Sky, Anne Butler, Aslam Chowdhury, Empress.com, And Grace for their support on Patreon.
1: We also want to give a special shout out to our international agents who listen to this show. We have analytics on our podcast and on our website that show where people are tuning in from. And we know that we're a U.S.-based show releasing content on a us-based schedule so we really appreciate the international followers who we truly and sincerely recognize make an effort to listen to us specifically from germany the united kingdom sweden canada and switzerland and australia australia yes that's (laughs) awesome
0: i didn't see that one so thank you for doing the analytics jill and seriously thank you to the humans who are not from our home country and have found us.
1: Yes, I mean, also Uh thanks to the US, but you know.
0: Lastly, I would like to thank a very dear friend of mine who bought me the best birthday gift last week, um, which was professional editing software. So thanks to all of our supporters near and far, our podcast is increasing in production quality and we just can't thank you enough for all that you do. Okay, Okay, so let's
1: go ahead and dive in. Alrighty, our summary for this week is the mysterious hacker plaguing Artie enters the warehouse and kidnaps Artie. While Pete and Micah work with Mrs. Frederick to rescue him, Artie attempts to figure out if his kidnapper is friend or foe. So thanks so
0: much for your wonderful and what's the word, television industry style summary. (laughs) For people who remember the TV guide, that's like exactly what it would have said. Yes. Except I don't think our agents realize that Jill is writing these, right?
1: Yeah. Oh, I'm writing these. I'm not taking them from a place because sometimes, sorry, industry moment. Um, There's stuff called metadata now that like auto generates a lot of these summaries that you see, which is why sometimes on Netflix or on your TV guide, like clicky thing, they don't make sense. Uh, Mm -hmm. One of my favorite terrible ones I ever saw was for an episode of The Walking Dead, and I photographed it and imprinted it on my own memory because it was so unhelpful. It was hilarious. It was, our gang goes to a familiar location and encounters a familiar foe. Oh no,
0: but so, that's that's what the computer generated ones are because I love Criminal Minds and the Criminal Minds auto-generated one used to be the BAU investigates a case. Like, and thanks. I was like, thanks every episode of Criminal Minds ever. <laughs> um, so yeah, Jill is writing these based on her industry smarts and her amazing brain. Yeah. So we begin and I can't recall if we have mentioned this before but we do begin with a previously on which is helpful because I will talk about this probably more later this was actually the first episode of Warehouse 13 that I ever saw and so this was a time when people were tuning in for the first time ever or they were waiting on an entire week to watch so having that little just reminder of previous setup was helpful especially for A person who might have missed those little teasers about the hacker and and Artie's little subplot. So it reminds us that that's what was happening.
1: And from an industry standpoint, this was really an era of TV where there were a lot more options starting to appear and a lot more options of serialized content. Thank you. Yeah.
0: So after the previously on, we open with a really bizarre dream image of Artie and Mrs. Frederick.
1: Yes, sort of. We pick up, we see something we sort of saw before, which is when Artie got zapped in Dickinson's office, we saw a man in a suit in that same location, but we didn't get a good look at that person. Here is where we can tell from the lighting and the imagery that it's the same place and the same person. But now we see that it's Artie. So he saw himself in Dickinson's office when he got shocked.
0: Oh man, yeah. So thanks for putting that together. I couldn't, I mean, it's just so, like you said, unclear and
1: brief that we haven't been able to piece it together and now we are. The conversation between Frederick and Artie goes as follows. I know this place. Yes, you've been here before. You don't remember it, but you will. Artie, so this is a dream? F, time to get up. Time to go back to the beginning.
0: That is super important because the high contrast lighting indicates to us that this is not everyday world life that Artie is experiencing right now, but we're getting a framework for the the structure of how this story is going to make sense.
1: And we're seeing... A glimpse of Artie before he was quite as jaded. I mean, and he was more put together. He was wearing a suit, everything matched, nothing was shabby looking. It's interesting. We're getting some answers as to his character. So I don't want to linger too long on it, but I did want to point out that this is the direction it's heading.
0: Yes. After that conversation, Artie wakes up to the sound of his Farnsworth. And it is Pete and Micah calling him from some sort of,
1: uh, what's the word? It's a zoo. It's definitely a zoo because Pete says, no more zoos, okay? <laughs> <laughs> well, I was saying, I guess it was some sort of
0: mission. They had an artifact at a zoo, which I just, I'm sure there is fan fiction of whatever that artifact was. But like, what, what on earth was interacting with the monkeys, the spitting monkeys? I want to know.
1: I want to know, too. It's so funny. I love off-screen storytelling. I know it's not everybody's favorite. Some people feel like, well, if you're going to tell a story, it should be on screen. But I really do love the idea that the characters exist even when we're not watching them.
0: Yes, and I think that this is really important to what ends up happening towards the end of the episode and throughout where Pete and Micah get really concerned about Artie. And remember, this is only episode four, so if you were watching in real time, you're like, these people have known each other for four weeks, you know, what big deal. But months, they've known each other for months, they say. They, yeah, they have made it clear to us that in their world, they go on all sorts of adventures, not just the ones we see on screen, and they've bonded and they care about each other, and it's clear from the chemistry between the actors that they're presenting that really well.
1: I agree but Artie is not having it he is not amused he's in a bad mood and he doesn't care about their complaints um (laughs) he says to Micah by the way you still have monkey phlegm in your hair and she's just like she says it's not phlegm phlegm. and then and then she like almost starts crying
0: I I yeah I don't don't want to know know. (laughs) they uh yeah they are complaining they're also worried that Artie doesn't look like he's slept well and surely enough you know Artie's like scatterbrain. I'm fine whatever but he nods back into that dream world
1: yeah he he feels like he can't get up and Mrs. Frederick's like yeah you can and then someone runs by really fast and we don't see who it is yet
0: yet well then he wakes up You've got to stop me before I get excited because this is exciting. He wakes up with a handcuff being wrapped around his wrist to his own desk and she appears. I wrote my pink haired punk rock angel.
1: She has orange hair with pink stripes.
0: Yes. This is relevant to
1: something I shall say later. She has orange hair uh, or I mean,
0: she's red red redheaded with a little stripe of pink in it. It's so cute. And she shows up. And I forgot how quickly. So this episode is titled Claudia. How quickly we get Claudia and how we have to figure out what is happening um, when we actually have her. So the buildup has all occurred in previous episodes. And now she's here and now we're unraveling the backstory In the heat of the stressful moment of Artie being kidnapped. So she does
1: some amazing villain monologuing. But not enough to tell us what her aim is. Yes. But enough to tell us what her relationship to him is. She she tells us that she knows that his name is Artie. Mm -hmm. She knows him as a professor. Yes. Which is interesting because we've never seen anything remotely to indicate that Artie was a professor. Um, and she holds up a little doodad by Artie's computer, which she has cut off. There's wires, and she says, "And it's it's an alarm system." And that's the point at which Artie gets a bit scared.
0: And he has a realization when he slowly pulls down his glasses and recognizes this young woman. And he says, "Claudia, Claudia Donovan." And when he says her name. Alison scaliotti gives the best little expression. It's like a little evil glimmer, um, and she is, in my opinion, perfectly cast for this sort of crazed villain who is also sympathetic and also complicated and 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 like interesting, and we're invested in her story. I think the way that she, as an actor, is able to deliver this story is absolutely necessary for how well this character ends up fitting into the Warehouse 13 world.
1: And her mere existence makes us question a lot of what we know about Warehouse 13, and they hinted that with visuals, because our color theory still tracks. As far as we know, purple has always equaled safety, and orange has always equaled danger now an interesting thing happens because she shows up with this orange hair and we immediately think danger 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 because she's not only in the warehouse which which makes us think danger but there's something about her presence before we even see like anything else that we know she's a threat of some kind but when she shocks him for the first time in the entire show something doesn't glow orange it glows purple and it makes us think oh, wait, are we the good guys? Do we know enough about Artie to be confident that she's in the wrong here? Or could he have done something to inspire this level of ire?
0: And as we go through the episode, that's where her initial villain vibe does become sympathetic and complex. So I think before we move on too much, I want to go ahead and do my...
2: Actors, spotlight, light, light,
0: light. So I have always thought her name was Scagliotti, but she says in an interview on the podcast, Let's Talk About Me, Baby, um, episode 21 of that podcast is an interview with her where she actually plays some music with the host, and it's really cool. Um, and she says, The G is silent, the O is long. Scagliotti which is not how I would have ever guessed in <laughs> 10 years or more of thinking she's the best I now know. Um and so I mentioned that uh be- 10 years or more because I saw her on Warehouse 13. This was the first episode that got me hooked. But it got me hooked because I knew her as Mindy from Drake and Josh, which if you're a like you're a Nickelodeon kid from the 90s uh, she played Josh's initial rival and eventual girlfriend who was brainy and sarcastic and interesting and uh, I always thought she was so cool on that show apparently she's only in about eight episodes of Drake and Josh but she was like my favorite part and I always loved her um, so that's where her best known early work began and um, More recently, she played a main role in the science fiction crime drama Stitchers, um, so people may be familiar with that, but she's also had a ton of small roles, including One Tree Hill, CSI, uh, I think it's one of the later seasons of The Vampire Diaries, so she's been in a lot of roles, and I think her abilities go underappreciated in some of her small, uh, small parts because she's just so persuasive in the way that she's able to I don't know just get the chemistry with the other actors and that's my favorite part of bringing her into the show and we'll talk about it through um this episode she interacts with Saul Rubinek in this amazing way and their relationship as characters is completely um one of the most beautiful I think that that you see because it's It's like it's full of hurt. It's full of emotion. It's full of history. And also it grows to be full of other things because, you know, he helps her rescue Joshua and and all of that. So um, she's a great actor, but she also has vocal and guitar talents um, and a, a musical career that includes time in the band, Nice Enough People. And that's where I found that podcast episode that I can link to in the show notes where she just sits with a guitar and sings kind of acoustic with the episode host, who I guess was in Pitch Perfect. And so she just does acoustic songs and you hear her voice. And I love that Alison Scalioti has this like, what's the word, like sultry voice, like a a sexy voice, like a Husky. A husky, yeah. She has a husky voice, unlike the very melodic voice of Joanne Kelly. And that's so interesting to me, especially because she is exactly the same age as me and Jillian. Um, she is currently 28, which means she was actually like 18 or 19 at the time of the show. So um, they cast a young woman. The role is clearly for a young woman. And interestingly... Uh, we get the suggestion that she's like about 22 in Warehouse 13. So she's even younger in real life than this young woman she's been cast to play. So for all of that, I think she's wonderful and I absolutely adore her. I spent all of college trying to dress like her and basically be her and tweeting at her on the internet. So that, <laughs> that is a true fact. She did sometimes reply to me to tell me where she got her coats and it was the highlight of my young adult life.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know that. (laughs) Yes,
0: it's true. It's true. Uh, We have other, what's the word, like queer icons in this show, but apparently Alison Scalioti is mine, just my patron saint. My (laughs) patron saint, yes. um. So you may have noticed that during the Actor Spotlight intro segment, we had a little cameo from Eddie McClintock, Pete Latimer himself, we are going to have several of those Easter eggs throughout Podcast 13's first season and also several bigger ones, which include questions about specific episodes and characters. So our surprise guest for today is Eddie again with a little clip of his actor spotlight on the talented Allison Scalioti. You
2: know, I remember watching the Claudia episode. Well, first of all, I loved Allison when she came on. I don't know if it was maybe wardrobe or somebody from the front office was like, "Have you met the the new Claudia? She's she's great. She's she's taking pictures of everyone and (laughs) taking pictures, doing these things they call them selfies, and uh, and taking all the pictures." And Allison was just great energy, you know. Just she is. A, a very much a, a Renaissance woman in that she is an academic and also an artist as well. She's really bright, and um, when I saw her performance and I saw how we were introducing the Claudia character, I mean that's to me, that episode. That that's when I felt that the show really started to cook. You know, like, that's when I was like, oh, okay, this is great. You know, knock, the knock, knock. I was like, that's cool. That's cool.
1: That's what I have for my actor spotlight. Well done. (laughs) Um, And the last we see of her in this scene is a very interesting interaction with Artie, where he just says to her, I'm not responsible for Joshua's death, which is an interesting thing for someone who's not responsible for a death to say. And I've sadly been to a lot of funerals. I can't think of anyone who I know in relation to those funerals where I would say, by the way, I'm not responsible for this. (laughs) Just throwing that out there. And she is really dismissive of that and says, time to make good on your promise and shoves him out of the warehouse.
0: Yes. And she says it's... It's basically payback time for me and for Joshua. And then we cut to Pete and Micah pulling up to the warehouse in the car and arriving to a door that is ajar.
1: And they immediately, immediately notice it and enter with guns drawn.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Or Teslas or guns. I actually noticed No, notice Pete it. has
0: a real gun out, which <laughs> yeah. is alarming. Um, but they know that it's the middle of nowhere South Dakota If the door to the warehouse is open and Artie is not around, something definitely went wrong.
1: Yeah, and they look around and are immediately able to tell from the way things are left that someone took Artie. And Pete says it. He goes, someone took Artie? Like, not as a statement, but as a question in a very heard voice. He's very sad about it.
0: Yeah. And that goes to what we said earlier, where these characters have bonded and we can feel it. Even if we didn't spend all of those months on screen with them, we we can tell those months happened.
1: Um, and that's where we roll the opening theme song. Yes. And we come back to Micah and Pete in the warehouse. And Micah is very upset that she can't get enough from observations she's like she is trying so hard to piece it together but there's so much stuff in the warehouse and so much to notice and she can't get enough and
0: uh she wants to call the authorities which makes sense but when they bring this up to mrs frederick she says that they are the authorities so this is their problem that they have to address, and I think for Micah having recently lost a partner, that's really intense responsibility and frightening. I don't know emotionally to deal with.
1: And it should be noted that Frederick calls looking for Artie and is surprised and somewhat annoyed to see to see he and Micah. Um, But then when they tell her what's going on, she immediately gets pretty worried and she tells them to check the durational spectrometer, which is an awesome term. Um, This is pretty interesting and basically it shows images of anything that's happened in the last five hours, but we're not sure what that means yet.
0: Yes, and I actually, I was like, oh, so it's like a security camera. Um, yeah, so a spectrometer, an optical spectrometer measures light over a specific portion of the electromagnetic spectrum. Um, it's usually used to identify chemical materials, but with this warehouse technology, we get uh, the reveal when they start using it that it recreates the scene that occurred in the last five hours which is I realized actually far more useful than surveillance cameras where they could get hacked they could get cut they could get stolen they could get lost whatever and here we have a warehouse object that is going to definitely show literally in three-dimensional space what has recently occurred in terms of the people in the
1: room and I also want to say that all of the inner actions that we're seeing with Artie and Mrs. Frederick and Pete and Micah really harken back to what we talked about in the first episode of Pete really mirroring Artie and Micah really mirroring Mrs. Frederick. I love that the first thing Mrs. Frederick says to do is check the durational spectrometer and they're like question mark <laughs> but <laughs> verbally they're like oh yeah of course we're gonna do that yeah well Pete is Micah is like the Whatever, I'm, not, I'm just <laughs> gonna stay silent like a normal human, um, which then I wouldn't go so far as to call it an eye roll from Mrs. Frederick, but definitely there's something that crosses her face that seems to say, oh, Artie, you need to explain things to people.
0: <laughs> yes, and she knows him, and we get that throughout the episode too. We get a little more. Uh, emotion from Mrs. Frederick not a lot just a smidge and we do we do see that she is she knows Artie she knows Artie very well
1: and it, it's sort of in the same way that Micah knows Pete which is so sweet to me and then we're in suddenly a dusty old lab with Claudia and Artie
0: and they have this intense you know argument Uh, where she is
1: saying it's not in my head you're gonna see this and she's claiming that Josh isn't dead and reveals that this is Josh's old lab we don't really know who Josh is at this point other than that he is very important to Claudia yes
0: yes and like I said I think her frustration and desperation and like we've talked about with Artie um energy building on Artie's which Artie is always like why don't you understand why don't you just know exactly what I'm talking about
1: which I think is interesting because he responds in ways that Pete and Micah don't to him Pete and Micah are always like trying to either ignore him or get him to focus on what they're talking about he tracks what she's saying and attempts to respond basically Artie says Josh is dead and Claudia says no, he's stuck. Which seems to confuse and render Artie dubious.
0: And so we get the first interaction of them in Joshua's old lab and then cut back to Pete and uh Micah using the spectrometer. Which is so cool. It's cool and the best thing is that they know it's cool because pete watches himself come in with his gun drawn all like you know csi style or whatever and he's like cool like look at me
1: like i'm coming into the room my note my note on this by the way was they think it's cool and then in parentheses i wrote because it is yes
0: (laughs) um and then I love this tiny detail. They're focusing the spectrometer. They're figuring out what happened. They they eventually see who we know is Claudia. And then they're trying to watch the scene unfold, which is silent because it's all uh, visual. And Pete repeats. He he watches it and says Claudia Donovan. And this interaction is so great, I think, because Micah's like, "How on earth can you you know read lips?" And he's like, well, it comes in handy for the deaf. Um, And I think his response, which could and, you know, is funny, could be read as funny, is actually calling Micah out for for being able-bodied and assuming able-bodiedness. Like, well, why would your sister need that? And Pete's like, well, obviously not everyone is hearing, you know, so.
1: It's really cool that we do get that detail about Pete and his life. We don't just get the information, I have a sister, we get information about his sister mm-hmm. and about what his relationship with her is. Like not just, oh, she's deaf, but that they're close and he tries to figure out the world and the way that she experiences it.
0: So they pull Claudia Donovan up on the computer. There is a very scary looking picture of her. Um, because she was institutionalized and she clearly looks unwell in the in the picture
1: and they jump to the conclusion that she's dangerous. Micah jumps to that conclusion based on the fact that she is institutionalized which I have to say bothers me a lot.
0: Oh I wrote that's my next note I wrote that this bothers me a lot especially with The historical stigma, particularly of young women and mental illness, Um, in the Victorian era, young women were were institutionalized for things they should have never been even deemed unwell for.
1: Yes, and also, the conversation went exactly like this. Uh Uh-oh, she was institutionalized. And then Micah goes, what if she's dangerous? First of all, "Uh uh-oh, she was institutionalized. You can be institutionalized for a tremendous amount of things that have nothing to do with danger. Yes. And also, I hate that they say institutionalized, what if she's dangerous? It's dumb and unnecessary because she's obviously dangerous based on the fact that she kidnapped and electrocuted Artie. Like, yes. <laughs> it doesn't have yes. to do with her mental health. And the, it's a problematic stigma that needs to be undone because... Most people who deal with mental illness or mental health issues are much more likely to be the victims of crimes than the perpetrators. And that's something I really want people to know.
0: Yes, I'm really glad that you said that because that's so important. And right, she is dangerous in our knowledge right now, but not anything to do with her mental health. And so they quickly gather some information to go and investigate her background
1: we are with Claudia and Artie in the lab and she has something set up we don't really understand what it is and it seems big and she goes it's strongest here and we need that to bring Josh back and Artie's really dismissive and thinks she's a bit delusional and he also notices that Claudia seems a little sickly she doesn't seem well not mentally unwell considering the topic we just discussed he's Referring to her physically seeming ill. And then an interesting exchange takes place. He says, Josh died because he got the rules wrong. And Claudia says, It happened because he got sloppy and we both know why. Yes. And then we go to a place with Pete and Micah, and it is, I guess, the apartment complex, a low rent apartment complex where Claudia has lived for the past four years, and they talk to a woman who says Claudia was always nice, and we get some background information about her, which is that her parents died when she was very young, and she lived with her brother, and then when he died, she went off to live with a foster family, and that's where it, quote, all hit her, and she checked herself into a psychiatric care clinic six months ago. Yes. Which is also important to mention because while you can be involuntarily committed to an institution, I don't know enough to know whether it's most or the same amount or slightly less, but a, a large number of people choose to commit themselves voluntarily. People who have mental health issues aren't automatically lacking all sense and reason. They know enough to know That something is going on with them just in the same way that someone who has a gallbladder issue knows what's going on with them. It's something that's happening internally inside of them that they need help fixing or addressing.
0: And I was going to say that too, when we get this detail that she checked herself in, me as, you know, a person who really believes in destigmatizing mental health care just thinks, well, that shows great strength of character that she had a questioning of whatever her situation was or she had a really negative experience and recognized that she needed full-time care temporarily too because the landlord tells us that she checked herself in and she checked herself out which to me indicates a self-aware self-monitoring person
1: and I also want to say that I think some of the stigma comes from the fact that And certainly, I don't want to dismiss stigma around all mental health. There is still a large amount of stigma, unfortunately, around even just going to see a psychiatrist or psychologist or any kind of therapist regularly. There shouldn't be, but there is. But that is, I think, considered by a lot of people to be more, air quotes, normal than actually changing your primary place of residence temporarily and it shouldn't it shouldn't be scarier it's just a different kind of treatment it's like needing surgery versus needing to get medication refilled yes exactly it's all the same I like to encourage people to look at it sort of like diabetes you need insulin all the time for a certain type of diabetes and You take care of that yourself on a regular basis. You don't need to go anywhere, but you know how to monitor yourself and take care of it. It doesn't mean anything about you. Sometimes you can go into some sort of shock or ketoacidosis, and sometimes you need a little bit more help, and then you're, you know, well enough to maintain on your own again. It doesn't mean that everything's fixed, but it also doesn't mean that anything is super duper wrong with you. It's all fine.
0: Yes, we love you all and we love therapy and also a psychiatrist or other sort of doctor if you need one. Um, so there's one more thing I'd like to mention in this landlord scene because it's so tiny, but it sets us up um, in the most subtle way. And I'm going to shout out to Jack Kenny for doing this. Also,
1: Druzy Greenberg. Oh, and Druzy Greenberg! It would now be a good time to do the yes can we do it can we do it about. can we do it okay, okay. uh we love Drew Z greenberg in case you haven't noticed oh my gosh uh Drew Z. greenberg has the writer's credit for this episode which should alert you to the fact that we are on our writer appreciation
0: oh i was gonna say in queer town
1: <laughs> well that's, we are
0: we are but that's that was not i, I read your mind wrong
1: No, you didn't. You just read it out of order. I'll (laughs) (laughs) get back So Drew Z. Greenberg is an amazing writer-producer who got his start. He was executive story editor on Smallville. He's not a writer's credit yet. He's close. Um, And then his first writing credit was on the TV series Queer as Folk. And he went on to work on Firefly... Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the OC, Dexter, which I think is interesting because it really shows him flexing his darker muscle. But he's still very heavily embedded in genre fic. He he wrote (laughs) genre 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 fiction, genre 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 television is what I meant. Um, And he wrote for a TV series, Star Wars, The Clone Wars, And then he worked on Warehouse 13 all the way through 2013, which is great. It's nice to see a writer stay on that long. And then went to Arrow and is currently on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. The higher level you are, the bigger your producer credit. So you get like producer, co-producer, associate producer, co-executive producer, supervising producer, and all of those. So on um, Warehouse 13, he was an executive producer because honestly coming from... (laughs) Buffy and Dexter and all these really critically acclaimed award-winning shows he he earned it. <laughs> he earned it. Um so right now it seems like he's working on the upcoming season of Agents of Shield. So go him. Yay! But now bringing to the queer thing. He is quoted as saying that he's openly gay and he's proud to work homosexual characters into his projects and he says he can't think of anything he's written that didn't have a queer character in it, whether or not it made it into the final product is another story. But he is very much about prioritizing, yeah, queer representation.
0: Oh my gosh! So this is what I should have put together. Um, I was like, some someone's queer because the landlord says uh, no boyfriends, no girlfriends. I'm very non judgmental. Um, the non judgmental thing is a little extra. But the reason I think that this is set up is because we're going to have the point of Reticus being gay and having a male lover later. And so they want to set up that when that has something to do with the artifact, that is not Anything negative. That's not affecting anyone in a negative way. It's like we just happen to need the password for this compass thing. It's going to be the name of the significant other. Um, And so I thought that was really important because, again, like Jill said in our previous episode, I don't think the artifacts have to be positive or negative, good or evil. They're just sort of sci fi and can have any number of effects but it it was really nice to me to know that the show has told us in this world we are not going to judge people's sexuality and when certain writers are on staff, we're not going to assume that that character is hetero, I guess. So we get led into Claudia's room by the landlord and now Claudia is the always sunny meme. <laughs> yes!
1: She has
0: got some really serious evidence on the walls and she's putting things together. And it is a little bit like a, a scene from Criminal Minds. It's a little scary. But again, we're going to learn more about this and gain more insight later.
1: And the really interesting part, they see, we, on her wall we see a picture, mm-hmm. amongst many other things, of a much younger looking Artie. So even though she's very young, she clearly knew him a mm-hmm. while ago, which makes us wonder, again, whether or not she's a good guy or a bad guy.
0: Yes, absolutely. Because if she, we learn, had interacted with him as a kid, it's like, oh, so you already have wronged a child? Like, that's not going very well for you. Yeah. Um, so in this, we return to the lab, correct?
1: Yes. Yes and, and Claudia is not okay. Claudia is sweaty really Yes. And she's pale and Artie I think is becoming legitimately worried about her so he's humoring her while talking to her about stuff and he says something like well what makes you think he's not dead and she says dead people don't visit.
0: Yeah. So we know she has a brother. I guess we're now putting together or soon about to put together that that's who this is, but it's not explicitly laid out for us. Mm-hmm. Um, Artie sees her and realizes she's not well and says something's wrong. And she has the great line. That's what I've been saying, you fossil.
1: I love that. I love the way she just roasts him. She does. And
0: so throughout this episode, even when she's really unwell, the character of Claudia has really good playful use of language and pop culture and just sort of like dynamic word usage and so this is going to bring something to the tone of the show in terms of what we in future uh, episodes and seasons we think of Warehouse 13 is having some of that bantery cleverness of maybe Buffy or Gilmore Girls or something like that um and we know that Jane Espenson worked on it so we kind of have uh, a little bit of consistency in the sort of
1: young and adult And we know that style. Drew worked on Buffy yes. too and that's how he knew her um and I think that Claudia really contributes to it but also she's allowed to contribute to it. Not only is she young and irreverent, but she also not only has an axe to grind against Artie, but she also just doesn't owe him anything in general. Like, Pete and Micah can make fun of him to a degree, but he's their boss. Even if it's a very non-traditional workplace environment, (laughs) they can't call him a fossil.
0: Yes, yeah. And so I think that that is such a good point when he needs maybe a little challenging sometimes because he's the senior agent and having this young woman and again we didn't mention this but obviously she's the hacker and he had been assuming that the hacker was male uh he had you know probably an image of who the hacker would be and not only is it a woman but it is a young woman which makes more sense yeah a woman who's clearly got something going on right now but is very um very independent independent and savvy yeah
1: yeah she's really interesting and also what she does to him it also has a flip side because she does keep slipping and calling him professor which I think sometimes is tongue-in-cheek and a little bit sarcastic but other times I think it's just sweet in the same way that a lot of people can't bring themselves to call their friends, parents, anything other than, like, Mr. or Mrs. Last Name, you know? And Artie has something else that's week. She's clearly not well, and she's clearly saying things that don't seem plausible, but he's not jumping to conclusions about her mental health either. She brings out a goodness in Artie, an openness she gets him to try to understand people and I'm not really quite sure how but I know it's believable
0: yes and I think that um one of the things the setup with Mrs. Frederick does is allows us to understand that Artie he did have an experience in the past with Claudia and he has to think about it harder and about his actions harder
1: and we also learn that Claudia's motives aren't entirely nefarious
0: Yes. And this is where I would like to begin, um, fitting in some of our artifact expert, uh, knowledge because during this interaction, it comes up really quickly. Um, but it's going to develop more as Pete and Micah research. Claudia says, Reticus was right. Joshua was right too. And Artie says he was nuts. Um, And so this is interesting um, for the artifact of the week, but also Artie is using a word that we would probably find offensive. You don't want to describe a person with a mental health question or concern as nuts. Um, And we have a woman who has, you know, this history of some sort of mental health institutionalization being told that these ideas are allegedly insane or impossible or what have you.
1: Which also, I think, he says knowing that he's wrong as he says it.
0: Yes. So let's uh, go ahead and introduce our expert for the day. Dr. Kathleen Crowther from the University of Oklahoma is an associate professor of the history of science whose main research fields are in the early modern and reformation periods. Her diverse areas of expertise also include the history of the body, gender and sexuality, and the history of medicine written from the point of view of patients rather than practitioners. Her work on late medieval and early modern astronomical texts, co-written with Peter Barker, is forthcoming in ISIS. She is also a fan of (laughs) Warehouse 13. Um, So she watched the episode and is very familiar with it and was able to talk to me about it.
1: Uh, Can you just in here when you say she's also a fan of warehouse 13 can you just play that clip of her being like i love this show
0: i'm so excited to be talking to you because uh you're one of our very
3: few guests who has seen the show before okay wow I love
0: this <laughs> <show>. <laughs> so she was kind enough to talk to me about a little Reticus 101
3: um So Reticus was uh, an astronomer and a mathematician and also later in life a physician um, in 16th century Germany. He is most well known for, I'd say there are two big things that he's known for. He was the one and only student of Nicholas Copernicus. And Nicholas Copernicus was the first man since antiquity to propose that the sun was at the center of the universe and the earth and all the other planets moved around the sun. That was very much opposed to the kind of received wisdom that the earth was at the center. Everything moved around the earth. Um, So Copernicus proposes that, no, actually the sun is at the center and the earth is what's in motion around the sun and all the other planets are in motion around the sun. Reticus hears about this and he goes to learn about this from Copernicus and he be, he's really the first convert. And, and I use that word kind of intentionally because, because believing this at this point in time, believing that the sun was at the center of the universe at that point in time would be a real leap of faith because the evidence that that was true just wasn't there. But Reticus Believes it, and he gets super excited about it, and he convinces. He's the one who convinces Copernicus to actually publish this work. Um, so that's so he plays this kind of huge role in getting this book, which you know is lots of historians of science take as kind of like the beginning of the scientific revolution or of modern science, or you know it's this huge foundational book that Redicus really shepherds that into print. The other thing that he's known for is he's a real pioneer in in trigonometry um uh which um you know actually when reticus was working trigonometry is a term coined a little bit after him but he did he's a real kind of pioneer in this he produced. Trigonometric tables, because once upon a time, you know, you had to calculate sine and cosine and stuff <laughs> by hand. <laughs> he published trigonometric tables that stayed in use until the 20th century. So those are the two big kind of scientific achievements that he's he's known for.
0: Um, And then I also was able to ask her about this allegation that Reticus was nuts, and she gave a really thoughtful answer.
3: I would say that he was not generally regarded um as as insane, even in kind of sixteenth century terms. Some of his at least one of his professors sort of described his interest in kind of Copernicanism and and in mathematics more broadly as a kind of like obsession. So there's a slight element of like pathology there, but that's that's very mild um but one thing i would say about him is he actually he did have some kind of mental breakdown in um like f- 1547 he had um for about half that year he was kind of bedridden and he it but it was clearly not like a just a physical illness it was some kind of mental breakdown and um uh and there was talk that he might be possessed by a demon and, The details are pretty sketchy, but it's clear that he had some kind of, you know, mental break, um, and, uh, also, may also have been some kind of spiritual crisis, um, so that did happen, um, and that was kind of acknowledged by contemporaries, but he did, he did actually kind of recover and go back to teaching, and, um, uh, you know, so, uh, yeah, so he basically recovered, um. I think, though, that it's been very easy for hist- modern historians looking back at Reticus to kind of posit certain kinds of mental illness um, or kind of psychological distress. Well, um, <laughs> for, for, I'd say two things about him. A, a really terrible thing happened to him when he was a child. When he was about 14, his father was executed, and... Well, it wasn't that unusual for children in the 16th century to have parents die, right? The kind of mortality rates were higher and kid most kids lost parents before they reached adulthood. But but that but having a father executed, his father was a physician and he was accused of swindling his patients and robbing them. Um so That's also a really kind of shameful, stigmatizing crime. Uh, He was executed by being beheaded. So that was a really kind of like traumatic event in Reticus's early life. And lots of historians have said, you know, he has a lifelong tendency to kind of look for father figures, and he finds that in Copernicus, for example. Um, The other thing, and I think you had another question about this, but he was pretty clearly what we would call gay, And it's hard not to see that as causing kind of tremendous sort of psychological distress because, you know, at the time that was regarded as terribly sinful, Um, I mean, sexual desire for someone of the same sex was in and of itself sinful. Um, homosexual acts were punishable, were illegal and immoral, so punishable actually by death. So so homosexuality, sodomy is what the term was in the 16th century, that was, was both a serious sin and a serious crime. And, you know, one just imagines that it <laughs> just would create kind of a terrible sort of conflict um, to kind of, you know live in that world and be essentially homosexual. That's not how he exactly would have described himself, but um but he was someone who did have relationships with men, probably romantic relationships um and never married, which is pretty unusual um for the time. So so it's easy kind of looking back to kind of read read into maybe some of his Oh, sometimes in his letters, he comes across as moody or... Um, and he's he's sort of... He's got a kind of restless energy to him.
0: So there's definitely a lot to unpack here. But I want to start with the first traumatic event that Dr. Crowther discussed because losing a parent is very relevant to this episode about Claudia and her loss. And so... It's possible that there is actually a much deeper connection between this historical person of Reticus and this young woman uh, Claudia. Uh, similarly, she mentions that uh, Reticus began studying under Copernicus at you know a young age in his twenties. So having a young character who's lost his father figure um and then is looking for that in his mentors or instructors is gonna become really
1: relevant it does seem to have a very arty claudia feel to it it does yeah because i mean you think of copernicus as this really learned old mm-hmm. guy and then you have reticus under him like, learning from this man but you've got to imagine that Copernicus was one of those arty type fast thinkers explain later yeah. kind of guys so I thought that was sweet I just wonder like Reticus isn't a name that before watching this show I could pull out of a hat I don't no. think know particularly well known by most people and I think that the writers of the show do a really good job of digging into things that are thematically relevant
0: mm-hmm. and this is I think the other thing that I love. That's relevant is that Dr. Crowther said, oh, well, I guess there is some evidence that he may have had a mental break, but that he recovered. And I think that that's so important that something may have occurred. There are people who, you know, recorded some information about him going through something, but he then got back into the world of science and published more papers and i I'm think like, that's can we give a
1: time period of when he is alive just for me oh yeah for you it's the mid 1500s yeah i feel like there's a lot to be upset about that can cause even like situational let alone clinical
3: yeah. depression
1: and anxiety like and, yeah and, he had a mental break but he came back and i think that is something that we should seize on now it's like since we're talking about a theme of mental health in this episode all throughout time people have been struggling and overcoming difficulties with mental health and it has not stopped them from mm-hmm. going on and doing great things.
0: Yes, absolutely. I think that's so important and I'll, I'll try not to spoil too much, but we do see at by the end of the episode that Claudia was right and we are going to see her again as a character. So the idea of you know, trauma and recovery is huge for us.
1: Yes. Moving on slightly, if that's all right.
0: Yes, please.
1: It's actually at the end of this little brief interaction where Claudia says, that's what I've been saying, you fossil. And immediately after she says that, Artie becomes affected and his view goes blurry. And before we get into what that means, I would like to point out that that indicates even more that Claudia's mental health is not the root of her behavior because mental health isn't contagious in that way. Right. Okay so what happens after his view goes blurry is we go sort of back to that flashback space and the view sort of gets fleshed out a bit and we're in the lab at an earlier time and place with Josh and Claudia meeting Artie. Artie's in a suit, he's younger, um, his eyebrows are extra bushy. <laughs> and extra dark. I feel like they, they oh, gave they him died. S- they dyed his hair and stuff. I think it definitely makes him look younger. And so first of all, I would like to point out that in this flashback, Claudia believes that Josh thought he was getting a grant from Artie, which seems wrong my first thought was of you I was like if someone pretended to give Miranda a grant and then lied I would be so upset (laughs) yeah
0: I guess there's more money in the sciences though so he could always just get another one as opposed to me who I only have like four to apply to
1: (laughs) I was just like defending the honor of my academic friends I was like give them money if you promise them money (laughs) so we come back out of the Flashback, I think. And Claudia says, has that been happening a lot? You went back. She immediately gets very weak and orangey light particles begin to like flow out of her towards a source upward, which is scary. Like that was legitimately scary and dramatic.
0: Yeah. So my note about this, where Claudia begins to have this light flow from her is that there's actually a lot of history of science stuff happening here. So, like, yeah, there's this Reticus compass and this idea of teleportation, um, but she is now a vessel, um, like a spirit medium, which we've talked about in previous episodes, that connects Joshua to the physical world when he had previously been lost. So it's very much a spiritualist thing, and it's all mediated by her young, you know, female body, which is a huge theme in the history of Victorian spiritualism, that women and young people, so especially young women, would be more susceptible to the emotions and or like past uh, what's the word, and or spiritual beings. Um, so that's incredible to me where now Artie uh, has been ignoring these visions, but Claudia has been believing them, and uh, it's bringing them together, and it's really strong and powerful in the place where this accident occurred. So that's what I had.
1: Yes, and also more than a spiritual and emotional connection, it's also a very physical connection whatever's happening seems to be using Claudia as an actual physical power source taking something of her to make themselves exist and it's taking a lot out of her which I don't think they ever actually directly say it mm-hmm. in the in the episode so I think it's okay to now put my theory forward which is I think this is why she checked herself in she's having weakness and blacking out and losing time and then seeing her presumably dead brother that's alarming and her first instinct is this isn't normal i need to deal with it right yes and so this these orangey light particles sort of form into a ball of energy that bounces around the room and it goes really fast and then seems to take the form of josh reaching out to her and Artie but not really able to make a strong connection he seems pained or scared or trapped and we immediately understand what she's saying and then he just boom goes away and Claudia just looks at Artie and goes told you
0: yeah oh and it's so good her tone of voice and her vindictiveness and distress and concern. It's got every everything you need in those two words. She just nails it.
1: And we have a character moment between her and Artie. Claudia tried to fully recreate Josh's experiments, whatever they were. And he seems like very distressed. Like he says, Why would you do that? And she goes, why didn't you? As if their reactions to what is obvious are very different.
0: And I think this is super important for us understanding Claudia's motivation. Why didn't you? Of course, if it was your family member, you would do anything to save them.
1: Yeah, I think she stopped being scary. Yes. I think she, this is the turning point of when she's become sympathetic She's not trying to do anything but get Artie to help with his big old brain. Yes. Which doesn't seem like an unreasonable ask, even if we know how dangerous artifacts are. Well... It seems very reasonable for her in this moment. And that's the
0: idea, is that Artie is reiterating how dangerous the experiment is. And he's got the idea, uh, or he's committed to the idea that it's not safe... And that Claudia is being made sick by this connection. Um, And I noticed her hair when she first shows up and is in the warehouse is really kind of fluffed out, frizzed out. And it actually gets sleeker and greasier and like
1: flatter. Well, she's sweating a lot.
0: Yes. So that's that's I think a really good makeup or hair hair and makeup decision that As she gets sweatier and sicker and like feverish and pale. And it's so real. It's so raw that way. It is. Yes. And she's um, always beautiful in my mind, but she gets really like emotionally beat up and it's visible in her physical appearance.
1: Yeah. Unlike Micah, who part of the fun of her character is knowing that she makes you earn her emotions. It's like, Congratulations, you have unlocked annoyance! (laughs) (laughs) And it's like the more you know her, the more you unlock. Whereas Claudia is a walking explosion of emotion. Mm. In in not in a bad or destructive way, just in a I'm not going to hide behind these things. I have this openness about me, which I think is really endearing for her. Yeah. So then we go to Claudia's apartment. Pete and Micah are looking around. This is a really short scene. This isn't where we read the poem yet. But we do get a fun note (laughs) about Pete. Pete (laughs) mentions that he went to prom three times in one night. It's possible.
0: It is possible.
1: I definitely know people in my town who've gone to two homecomings in one night.
0: I was going to say, I've done two, but three is a lot.
1: Three is a lot. Like, because... I think I think I might have gone to two in one night once because I had a bunch of friends from middle school who went to a different high school. So yeah. we all went to their homecoming together and then like I had my own homecoming that I went to.
0: That's my exact story. Mine yeah. is I just wanted to sound cool by having done it. But three.
1: That's so like he, he wasn't going with friends. He was nope. playing the field.
0: <laughs> and yeah, that's the thing is that... Um, Pete says like who needs to go to prom in making fun of Micah uh, because Micah is recognizing the books on the shelf and she's figured out that Redicus is important and then she's like oh I guess prom was important to you or whatever and he's
1: like three times in one night and you're just like Pete like (laughs) I like how both of their reactions to each other are our eye roll whether or not it's a physical eye roll like their emotion is eye roll personified (laughs) it's he's just like oh of course you wouldn't go to prom and she's like oh of course you would go to three in one night like no one is surprised by this anymore (laughs) and so we do
0: only spend a brief amount of time there getting the reveal of reticus claudia took that book with her we learned that joshua was working on human teleportation as well and that's the most important part um Of that reveal
3: you know when i saw the episode and i thought well you know i don't think human teleportation was something i imagine reticus to be interested in but it's not something in his writings or anything like that but one of the things that that kind of struck me is as a kind of parallel in his work is this is a man who like really believed i mean that mathematics and geometry and trigonometry triangles the man had a lifelong obsession with triangles he really thought that that kind of mathematical knowledge like transported you above the kind of earthly plane into the kind of the realm of the divine i know that's a little more you know this isn't a physical transportation or teleportation but like when he his first lecture as a professor of mathematics He gave this beautiful analogy which he drew from Plato about how like there are some souls that don't have wings and they remain like down on the ground bound to earth and then some souls have wings and they can fly up to heaven and converse with God and mathematics is those wings.
0: So if we want to keep drawing parallels between Claudia and Redicus, we can think about this idea of higher powers or higher realms because Claudia now has a bloody nose. Which we talked about during a live watch with some of our viewers and is indeed from Buffy. Uh, We see Willow get a bloody nose when she does too much magic. So we've seen this in sci-fi fantasy before. That when you are too deeply physically involved in a force beyond your control, that it takes this sort of effect on your body. And, you know, speaking of redheaded witchy people, there's one.
1: And it does make sense with what he's talking about, about math and science bringing you closer to a higher power. I think the writers did an interesting thing by sort of extrapolating that higher power was directly meant at a physical heaven not an ideal platonic heaven that just exists in your mind and so he thought well how would i get to there which i think is pretty interesting
0: that's what i was gonna say is that heaven in this sense is not the 16th century sense of some religious heaven it's what does claudia call it um Something like an interdimensional vortex, which is really science fictional rather than religious.
1: And Artie says also that he is worried about the experiment, of course, and he wonders why Claudia thinks that he would even bother to help because he thinks this is such a reckless idea. And she says, oh, you'll help because you're guilty. You have all that guilt. And he goes, no, I don't. And she's like, yeah, you do.
0: Yes. So back at Claudia's apartment, Pete and Micah are continuing to look through the books and Claudia's things and Micah has found something really important.
1: She reads a really sad, beautiful poem that is clearly a love poem about loss, but we don't get who it's for or what it's called until later. So we have this emotional connection with the poem before we have that information, which I think is really important
3: ereticus did write poetry when he was a university student he and a number of other students kind of did write poetry now it was all in latin and i'm not sure not all of some of ereticus's poems are excellent but i think not all of them some of them uh i think were quite racy they were inspired by um ovid's Art of Love. So actually, some of them, I don't know this about Reticus, but some of his friends who published, they they were pretty raunchy. So he did write poetry. The one poem that I have seen is he wrote this ode to the beer of Breslau, which is pretty funny. (laughs) (laughs) I guess apparently the beer of Breslau was pretty awesome, because he's not the only one to write a poem about it. But <laughs> um, so so the idea that he would have written a poem of that nature is perfectly plausible but I'm not aware that that particular poem is like a translation of anything that he actually wrote I haven't seen anything about it.
1: but it was a really beautiful poem without any context without knowing what the subject matter was it felt real enough to be a real poem and I think that's the important takeaway because then later we find out much later we find out that his love interest was a man i think it's really important that we connect with the universal emotion and then say this is about a queer love relationship because it it's another act of destigmatizing i don't e- was gay marriage even legal at this point
0: No, I mean, in the United States, they didn't do uh, legalization for all 50 states until 2015, which is so upsettingly recent.
1: Yeah, so this is especially relevant. It shows something that people were struggling with in the moment that this show came out, but also were struggling with for hundreds of years prior.
0: Yes, and Jill, these were your words, not mine, when we weren't recording, but you mentioned it in such a beautiful way that the poem allows us to see that love is consistent in all different relationships and genders and time periods. And for a show existing in a time when gay marriage was not let yet legal in the U.S. and we still had a lot of progress to make... That's huge and important. And then the other thing that I need to mention here is that she's looking through the book, and there are two pictures. One is of Reticus, and one is of a model, like a, by that I mean a scientific drawing modeling the universe. Um, I'm not an astronomer, I'm sorry. Uh, and what Dr. Crowther said that was so interesting is that this picture. Call back to our Lucretia Borgia. It's not a picture of Reticus, but it is a real, um, you know, historical image of a person who was contemporary with Reticus and important to
3: Reticus. So, yeah, there's a scene where they like open a book. I guess it's supposed to be of his, by him, um, and there's a picture that they sort of say this is Reticus, but it's actually not Reticus. It's Philip Melanchthon who was um one of uh one of Reticus's teachers but also a kind of really important mentor and supporter um of him um for well, a good bit of his life until Melanchthon died. Um so Philip Melanchthon was a professor and uh at the University of Wittenberg and um he was he was one of these I suppose father figures that Reticus was um Searching for, but um, but I like that they chose him because he was so. Because it's a 16th century portrait that's roughly contemporary, right? But uh, but it's somebody who was really important in Redicus's life. I mean, Melanchthon wrote him letters of recommendation, you know, for uh, jobs and 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 letters of introduction to like famous people and.
1: That's awesome. Yeah, uh, I like that these uh, scholars aren't particularly put off by this. They re- they respect the effort that went into finding something close enough.
0: Um, and then the other image she pointed out was that Copernicus is a name we may actually know, unlike Reticus, for proposing the um, heliocentric model of the solar system, and. Interestingly, Dr. Crother explains that the picture in the book that Micah has is of a geocentric model of the universe, which is exactly what Reticus was working
3: against. So I thought actually it's kind of interesting that they used that because it's sort of counter <laughs> to Reticus's, um you know, ultimate kind of intellectual legacy. Um, but it's a diagram that comes from a book by another German named Peter Apian, with whom uh, Reticus was quite good friends and uh, corresponded with and visited and, um, you know, like like that. So I love that they have sort of chosen stuff that was, you know, kind of historically appropriate. The majority of people who read Copernicus's work thought it was, like, fascinating and brilliant and the mathematics was wonderful but they didn't think it was physically real. Like it was this sort of clever clever new set of mathematical models that helped you produce predictions of where planets would be at particular times. So,
0: what might be thematically relevant is that unlike some uh scholars who were, you know, like burned at the stake or something, Reticus wasn't put in a lot of trouble for having like unbelievable ideas yeah, I
1: listened to that he was sort of regarded almost as a sci-fi out there like yes! this is fun and interesting yes so I think it's perfect I think that if you're looking at a book
0: about Reticus and it's like well we all know that the universe uh, sorry that the solar system revolves around the earth but it's it's really cool these ideas like it's really exciting that he thought of this instead I actually think that's so relevant I definitely agree So moving forward, we're back in the lab. We get Claudia really insisting that they have to save Joshua. And she has a beautiful line of dialogue that I don't know if you know, but she describes all the sacrifices her brother made for her. Oh, I I, like was on
1: the verge of tears,
0: honestly. It's so heart-wrenching. And she has literally been on our TV screen for like less than half an hour. And we are already invested in this story and we believe that she lost her brother and she says that um you know there's the kind of kind of more generic things like he sewed on my Girl Scout badges but then she says he stayed up every night to read Maria Looney on the Red Planet with me and so it's like of course this young woman grows up and also becomes a lover of science because her scientist brother read her this sort of sci-fi sounding book. It's
1: just so sweet and totally believable. It's totally believable and she describes those years as his fun years mm-hmm. and we see we see her guilt. We see that she feels she owes him which I think we can see from a slightly more distant vantage point that nothing she could have possibly done would have caused anything painful for him. Mm-hmm. It was her just existing, and he would never resent her for that. The same person who would stay up nights sewing on Girl Scout patches and reading books is not the same person who would resent having to take care of that person.
0: Yes. Um, I think we do get the idea that in doing the research to really find out what happened to her brother, that she may have unlocked some sort of connection to him. Sort of, yeah. Yeah. Because she's returned to the lab and that's the thing is that I believe pretty strongly that she's always been connected to this because she was there when it happened. But when she returns to the lab and she's doing the research, she has Joshua's journals, it, it starts to feel like obviously she didn't, ever hurt him on purpose but she feels this guilt that her search for him has now possibly caused him something negative which
1: even if it did wouldn't matter to him because he loves her so much yes and we also see first of all I wrote very emotional scene stealer good acting yes like Saul to be so one-on-one with Saul Rubinek, who brings so much to this show and to match that intensity and energy without it just becoming loud You know, like, emotionally loud. She, going one-on-one in a scene with him, in an episode with him, The most of the episode is just those two together. It's really beautiful, Um, and I really enjoyed it. But she, on a practical note, some things happen. She says, the compass disappeared with Josh, or Artie says it, someone says it, which makes Artie say that he wants to know what she used and said, And she goes, oh, the minerals aren't enough, which also to me speaks of a connection to her past with Joshua. She he spent his, quote, fun years looking after her, but she spent her formative years learning from her super smart, older sciencey brother. Yeah. And, And so she remembered other elements of what his research was. And Artie just shuts her down and is like, no. And she's like, well, if you knew this, then you owe him. hmm And she's not wrong. Yeah. And he has to reckon with that. He's starting to feel that too.
0: Yes. Yes. Um, so I think this is a good transition to uh, Artie calls Pete. And they've been really worried and working on, on- – tracking him down so they're trying to figure out where he is yes so look there's also a great background detail I complained all through episode 103 not all through I complained a little (laughs) bit that we never saw Artie's nice car and now we see a nice red
1: car in the background and also it's a great Buffy reference. The The older guy with the tealy red car just totally reminds me of Giles getting his red car and
0: being so proud of it. After a certain age, a man likes to have a nice car. That's what Artie says. It feels exactly like Giles. Um, but on this phone call, Micah reveals, again, in her rather judgmental way, Claudia has been in a psych
1: facility. Artie, though, continues to insist that he's fine. And he's sad about the psych thing. He doesn't, he he takes in the information, but doesn't dismiss it. Yes. He's like, oh, oh no, that's so sad. Like, it's not like, I am judging her for this, and this is now, taught me this. It's, oh dear. And because he doesn't know the context, he doesn't know how recent it was. Uh-huh. I'm sure that in his brain, he's like, this happened immediately after our interaction.
0: I'm just thinking of how... It might be a little pitying, but it's like, I think he's genuinely sorry that his actions led her to believe she was mentally unwell because she doesn't know that artifacts exist and that any of the things she experienced were real and not, you know, in her mind.
1: And I also think that he might be right when he expressed that he didn't feel guilty about Josh earlier. Mm -hmm. I think that he... Is regretful about certain choices the way that everyone is about certain things in their lives but he's made peace with it not everyone is someone he can help and I think yes this is sort of a supernatural weird form of law enforcement but it is sort of that kind of law enforcement and anyone in that kind of profession whether it's law enforcement or medicine you can't fall apart and dissolve yourself into guilt Just because you can't help everyone. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the kind of thing that a guy like Artie needs to make peace with. But I think it's a lot harder to make peace with inadvertently causing harm to someone who was otherwise well, like Claudia was. Yes,
0: definitely. So they return to Pete and Micah and Mrs. Frederick so, there's a funny joke where Pete holds up the Farnsworth and says this wasn't invented when this was made um as a, a fun Farnsworth joke. Yes, and then Mrs. Frederick comes in really serious, uh startles them because she doesn't use uh, doors the way that we do, and says, "You need these and these numbers. It's like a it's almost like a call numbers for a library. And then she says, "Okay, you got to go here and do this." and glean how Joshua went wrong 12 (laughs) years ago. So she, we know, is a little more timeless than them. And so she uses this somewhat old sounding word, but it also is just a funny word, glean. Like it just sounds funny. Um,
1: Definitely use that word. (laughs) But also, wait, So we skipped important like story information, which is they tell her that it's, First, she's mad that they left the warehouse when she said, Don't leave the warehouse. She's not a woman who is used to being disobeyed. And then they're like, This is Claudia Donovan. And she immediately knows and then gets worried. And he babbles a bit as he does. He is just, he's low key scared of Mrs. Frederick. He doesn't know what to be around her. Micah is less apologetic and very badass and it's just like, we need a way to contact you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she, like, puts her foot down, and there is a definite, like, eye-contacting moment of respect. We talk a lot about the parallel between Artie and Pete, but this was a really great moment of parallels between Micah and Mrs. Frederick because Micah keeps a lot of her emotions in, often to her own detriment. Frederick keeps them in strategically, and so... Micah's not interested in going to find where X marks the spot in the warehouse. She wants to go help Artie. And Frederick says he doesn't need emotion. You can't show up empty-handed. Which Micah immediately integrates and is like, you're absolutely right. We can't just go with nothing and expect to help. Every artifact is an extension of a person. If you understand Redicus, you understand the compass. Which is important. But I cared less about that. Then when she said, for the record, I care a great deal what happens to Artie. And then she just leaves through an actual door that we see her walk through, which is the first time that happened. And she storms out
0: of that door. Yeah. She does that storm. She doesn't need to storm out of the door because she doesn't use doors. But when she is like, how dare you question my affection for Artie? I'm going to storm out, girl. Like, she really like we said, owns the physical presence of her character so well. I
1: think it's impossible for anyone to, like, beat her in a scene. Like, not that acting is a competition. Or at anything. She's just so cool. So cool. Um, So... Oh, we're back in the lab with Ben Franklin's lightning rod, which Artie is using to help Claudia because he's fully on board now. And she goes, what about the key? He goes, everyone wants to know about the key. It's about the rod.
0: (laughs) But that's, it's fun to pretend that there are other things we don't know that could totally be real. Yeah. And we do have the scene of Pete finding the panel. Are we not there in your book?
1: We just went there. It was just a quick scene of, we see like the physical act of already helping Claudia. And that's where he mentions the, you know, I'm sorry about this. And she she clocks it and moves on. She doesn't want to dwell on it, but she appreciates it. And then we're back in the warehouse in what I call the stacks because I don't have another word to describe what that is.
0: It is the stacks. They're in the stacks and they're pulling things. This is like me writing a seminar paper in grad school. It's like, I got to go to the library and pull all the books on this. And, you know, they're like, oh, this this is useless. This is whatever. Um, Okay, now we have the thing that looks possibly useful. Oh, I was just going to say what I love is that he figures out how to open it based on how well he knows
1: Micah. Yeah. One of them finds a ring with a T engraved on it. And we still at this point don't know that the T stands for a male person's name yes we see that there's a love poem we see a ring with a t on it we think who is this t person that he may have proposed to and i just think it's really sweet that they're still playing up the importance of that relationship and making us root for it before we know what it is
0: yeah and making us root for it regardless of gender because whatever the reveal is we're um or we're coming to the conclusion that mrs frederick set up for us that you understand the person and they need to understand reticus yeah um
1: and he understands reticus because he understands micah and he's like well you like puzzles and she goes so and he just he like i just love it i love that he knows it's not his thing and he'll make fun of her for it but he he knows because it's important to her which makes it important to him and she she gives him one more nerd joke and there's like okay I appreciate you. It's like, she doesn't say it, but the clear emotion is, I have given you this one last nerd joke before I get angry because you were sweet, but we're done.
0: (laughs) Um, And again, we have already gotten the setup. We don't know who the poem was about, but we know Micah loved and lost. And we know that later in the episode, we learn, you know, that the poem was about a love that, you know, um, Redicus had. So... In my mind, that brings us to the lab, a lab with a circle of purple goo. Uh, I think that's a great detail because it reminds me a little bit of like a seance or something very Victorian spiritualism. Um, And obviously, you know, wearing the purple gloves and having the purple out to eventually save Joshua, which is what they're trying to do right now. And this is where we get the fuller flashback of a very clear memory when Artie met Joshua. So we'd been having some interesting lighting to make it clear to us that this was happening in the past or or that there was a vision occurring. But now it's just like, here is a memory clear as day of Artie posing as a grant um, writer or a professor who's going to recommend you for a grant Um, when to us, we are not led to believe he was really a professor, but that this was a cover Mm -hmm. for being a warehouse agent and tracking down an artifact.
1: But of course Claudia Uh, doesn't really know that. No, of course
0: not. And of course 10-year-old Claudia really didn't know that.
1: 10-year-old Claudia was adorable.
0: Oh, she was. That was a cute actor. Um, She did good. So I only wrote that then Micah reads the Latin and that's the nerd joke, Mm
3: -hmm.
0: um, that they open up the secret compartment. Oh no, it's in Latin. And Micah's (laughs) like, don't worry. (laughs) I can, I can read Latin, which, which is exactly my relationship with Miranda. (laughs) Yes. Which as a person who reads Latin, um, that's one of the, the best reasons to do it is just because people, people
1: are like, oh no, what do we do now? It just, it's an especially and unexpectedly useful party trick.
0: It's a useful party trick if you like science fiction fantasy because spells are often in
1: Latin. Yeah, um. and it's just like, oh, I know the words that they're saying, which is excellent. <laughs> um, and then we go out on the shoop, shoop, shoop box, and then we come yes. back from commercial and we're in the lab with um the orangey particles flowing from an unconscious claudia and really sweetly i noted that Artie cradles her head in his lap he does it's such a dad thing to do i know like he cares so much about her because i think i think he's the kind of person who thinks that you just get scars with age emotional scars physical scars and he just doesn't think she's old enough to have the kind of scars that she does and he knows that a lot of those come from his interactions with her at a younger age and she doesn't have anyone left to take care of her
0: and it was so sweet and the final comment I wanted to make about this Claudia passing out and all the attempts that she was making um, to get Joshua back herself is that she's holding like a black funnel-like thing, which to me looks like a gramophone sort of device. And I found this really interesting because we have talked about Victorian science and spiritualism in Warehouse 13 before. And this is a really cool mashup of the history of science and technology because that 19th-century device, which was just for recording sound, um, got imagined in all of these science fiction ways, like because Victorians were beginning to understand that sound was physical and like there were waves that would go out into the universe. So the question that some late 19th and early 20th century um, like science fiction writers asked was, well, if the sound can go out and a gramophone can project the sound out, can we suck it back in to, like, recreate the past? Um, So there's a famous story called Goethe and the Phonograph, and it's really funny because it's like they reverse engineer a gramophone in order to basically pick up sound from 100 years ago. Um, And so this, to me, seems like it's not an accident in a sci-fi show that Claudia trying to suck back up this past memory of her brother and his, like, interdimensional vortex space, that she has grabbed this sort of steampunk gramophone thing. Cool. And yeah. I just wanted to point it out.
1: I, that's really smart, and I never would have known any of that. That's definitely your academic expertise, but I'm so glad I know it now. Well, I'm so <laughs> glad that Claudia just, like, is so into cool
0: steampunk technology because maybe that's why i find well one of the many reasons why i find
1: her so compelling she's very cool so joshua appears right at the end uh where claudia is still passed out so josh is I wouldn't say solid, but when we first see him, he's bouncing around like a little ball. (laughs) And now he is more in one place, and he's able to hold a conversation with Artie for a bit of time, even though it looks like it's causing him some distress. He says, Claudia is tied to this now, and it's killing her, and you're tied to it too. Uh, By it, he means like the process of the attempts to bring him back and every time he comes back it gets a little harder on Claudia and he says if he comes back again she'll die and so Artie has to find a way to cut the tether to Josh's universe, whatever that is, before he gets pulled back again and winds up killing his sister.
0: So it's getting really real and in the best older brotherly fashion, he is like, I will sacrifice my existence because I don't want her to die. And it's really sweet.
1: But like, she knows that she's sacrificing herself for him too. And it's so heartbreaking because you're just like, you don't want each other to die, you idiots.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But that's the beauty of siblings. And I know, like, I have both an older brother and a younger sister. So I know this dynamic, which is like, the younger sister does want to take care of her older brother and the older brother does want to take care of, like, even though one may be older or one may be, like, the brother may be seen as the guardian in a patriarchal society, it's like, no, you are looking out for each other because siblings, like, even if you dislike each other sometimes, your love is really deep, um, in most cases anyways.
1: Yeah, and it's especially sad because Artie's caught in the middle and, like, Claudia... And Joshua can't hear each other right now. So he (sighs) knows what the struggle is, but they can't communicate with each other, which just makes it, that's a really interesting and nuanced way to raise the stakes.
0: Yes, and Artie is having to choose to save Claudia instead of Joshua in this potential moment of choice, which makes sense because Claudia is physically there in his you know earthly dimension and that makes the most sense but still super hard for Artie as well as them.
1: Yeah especially because he sees Joshua's current predicament as his fault so it's for his own sake he would probably be more likely to save Joshua but I think he realizes that's a bit selfish and he has to do what's best for the most savable person. Before Before they go to the lab what I have next is that we're at Lena's b and Pete and Micah are having a discussion with Mrs. Frederick, who I love, and she seems very pleased with what they were able to deduce, and that they were able to find something hidden on the compass, uh, As she smiles, which is, like, just a little bit of a smile, but might as well be jumping up and down for Mrs. Frederick. Totally. <laughs> and... Pete seems, like, really thrilled that he has her approval, and he's a bit of a goober about it. And I just wrote, she's not interested in his high five. <laughs> and then he walks out
0: and says she's weird. His kind of refrain throughout the episode is just that Mrs. Frederick, she, I, I don't know, that she's just scary. Yeah. And but, like, not in a, not in a scary sense. She's just really... Not like Pete at all.
1: Yeah, I mean, because she's uber Micah, just like Artie is uber Pete. And so it makes sense to me, like, because it took him a little bit of time to understand Micah, you know? So this is maximum Micah, and he's like, I like the one I got, thanks. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So then after that, they go to the lab, and Artie is very worried. And there's like a really... Intimate moment, but not romantically intimate, where Claudia and Artie are touching foreheads after she wakes up and thanks him
3: uh, mm. for
1: agreeing to save Joshua because she didn't hear the previous conversation. And I just wrote, we'd never seen Artie that close with anyone physically or emotionally before. She brings something out of him. She brings it out of him,
0: I feel like, because he knew her as a child and. Even though she's a young woman, probably in her early 20s now, you can tell that when he's looking at her, he sees this little girl, and he wants to care for her, and, you know, we don't know much about Artie's backstory yet, whether he was ever married or was ever a dad, but, like... He could he could be with his age and, who knows, mysterious life experience, yeah. so he's, he's really being a dad in this. Or, even if he wasn't, you know, an uncle or a, a fatherly figure who really cares for someone.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's different when he has agents under his command because they assume a risk by doing their jobs, but I think he's a very good person in that he, he can be very gruff and brusque with Pete and Micah. But that's because they signed up for this, you know? Yeah. But he is a good agent in that he knows what bystanders are and he knows that he's still in it to protect people. So he goes back into another flashback and already tells Joshua that people want Josh's research and that he's out of time and that he has to protect himself and Claudia. And he tries to convince Joshua to give him the compass because he knows where to put it so it'll be safe. And Josh says, okay, I'll go. And so Artie stays with Claudia and holds her hand while Joshua goes away to get the compass, or so he says. But I think it's pretty clear that Artie's suspicious, and we should be suspicious too, of whatever it is Josh is doing. And then we flash back to the present, and Artie says, I don't care if you hate me. I'm not going to let you die too, and reveals to Claudia that he will be saving her and not Josh because he does have to make a choice. And she says right back, she says, I do hate you and I'm never going to forgive you. And he just takes that on and continues to do his duty, which is so sad.
0: It's so hard, but he, I mean, he said it out loud. Like, he would rather save
1: one person than zero people. Yeah. And he cares about her. And so then we go back to a flashback and we're finally getting a bit more of the whole story. And young Claudia seems kind of scared So he says, I won't let anything happen to Joshua, I promise you. Which, that's the promise that he made that Claudia was referring to earlier. Then in the present, Artie apologizes to Claudia's unconscious body, just as Pete and Micah burst in! Thank goodness! I know, but it's still intercut. The memory isn't over. In the past, we see Josh holding the compass and it's glowing. And in the present, we see Artie grabbing Claudia, who is unconscious. And he takes her into that circle on the floor. And Pete and Micah are like, yo, what are you doing? And he goes, I'm doing what Josh did, which in typical Artie fashion is not even remotely helpful to people who don't have context. (laughs) Um, And then Josh shows up in the lab and Artie has an idea and says, touch my hand. Yes,
0: which is so exciting because... I think there has also been some interesting sci fi just happening with Joshua where these returns of his, like he comes around every so often and like it's getting more and more dangerous and all of that. And so this is like the last chance um, and he's possibly more embodied. Like I didn't have the idea that they could touch hands, but now they reach out and they do touch hands, which
1: transports them um yes. into this swirling vortex space and we go out to commercial just as josh and claudia and Artie are just gone and pete and micah are like uh wait what i can't <laughs> i think i think at some point in there pete and micah said that there's something hidden in the compass uh yes that's what made him change his mind from saving Claudia to having this other idea where he touches Josh's hand. Great. So, uh, when we return from
0: commercial, I love the way the inside of this interdimensional space looks. It's- Yes! Glowy and it's like they're in a little windy tornado. And I noticed right away- that everybody looks really great. So I mentioned before that Claudia's hair was getting greasier, her skin was getting paler. She was clearly unwell, and now her hair looks really cute. Yeah, and it's dr- it's dry and it's done. And um, obviously, there's a filter effect, um, so everybody's kind of orange and glowy. But her her you know her skin is glowing, um, and then Joshua is glowing, and they're all there, and you know I'm here. Um, but what I love is that then after I'm here, I'm here, <laughs> Yes. wait, I'm here.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes. And I like that that's immediately something she understands and can say and like define the location that they are.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah. Cause she's been reading Joshua's research forever.
1: And so she has some idea of what has happened. Um, which two things, first of all, one, de- one related to what you just said and the other related to the next thing that happens. My dog is squeaking a toy. Sorry, listeners. Um, so related to what you just said, Josh is like, what is he like? A p- <laughs> Thanks, Sam. Um, so, jo- what is Josh? Is he getting his PhD? His yeah,
0: he would be. It looks like he's getting a PhD. I would guess in like theoretical physics. And she was
1: a very young child. She was 10. Yeah, that's a very young child to be reading that kind of research and making sense of it because she lost him and then spent basically the rest of her life trying to find him. She's incredibly smart, and I'm going to state for the record that I think she's smarter than Josh because that is insane. Yes, she is. I just agree with you a lot, that's all. Okay. <laughs> I love that. Uh, (laughs) So then the other thing it relates to going forward, the next thing that happens, immediately both Josh and Claudia get super mad at Artie in a really funny way. Josh basically says something like, you were supposed to sacrifice me or you were supposed to save Claudia. And (laughs) then Claudia says, you were supposed to get Josh out, you (laughs) (laughs) D-bag. And Artie just brushes past it, which he's really good at doing. But doesn't he say something really funny? Like he says, I can be both a D-bag and insane. Thank you very much. (laughs) Which is so great. And it's so good because normally we see him brushing past people because he's not caring about whatever their discomfort is. There's a job to do. But now he's brushing past himself being insulted because there's a job (laughs) to do. And it's nice to know that that's just his personality when there's a job to do no matter what.
0: So Artie says, where's the compass? Because remember, Pete and Micah's um, epiphany has allowed him to think he can save everybody. And so he takes the compass from Joshua and begins to look through it and then um, says, but Pete and Micah didn't mention a combination. So he knows, and Joshua and Claudia all know about secret panels being a thing Reticus likes. But Artie is then... A little bit less confident because he doesn't have the combination that he needs to complete this you know task
1: and if he was a little more patient perhaps Micah could have given him the ring with the t on it but instead he's left there guessing and Claudia all of a sudden has ideas she says letters and numbers how many and then I just wrote she's smart <laughs> It's not that she's going to hack it or guess it. She
0: actually knows about Reticus' life.
1: Yeah, which is so great. And she says, try Thomas, which is actually where we first get the payoff of this beautiful love story that isn't heteronormative. Yes, and
0: I love this so much because Artie kind of looks up as like, what? And Claudia says, he wrote this poem about the loss of reason. Some person named Thomas. Um, And I love that, too, because it's not only not heteronormative, but it's not gender-normative either. Uh, Thomas, in Euro-American culture, is a man's name. um, But obviously, if this is a queer relationship, Claudia doesn't assume anything about it. Yeah. She just is like, there's some person named Thomas. Um, You know, gender not important, sexuality not defined. It's just this was his lost love and again nobody in that whole triad neither Joshua nor Artie nor Claudia says anything about it like whoa he was gay they just totally
1: accept it and yeah I love that too and it it's so good for the audience but it doesn't distract at all from the story we're just bringing it up now because it's beautiful um yes Um, And before we move on, I do want
0: to mention that we asked our expert about the name Thomas.
3: I don't know of any kind of man in his life named Thomas. Um, There certainly were other men. Um, There's a man named Heinrich Zell that he, he was a little bit, kind of a little bit younger than him and kind of traveled with him sort of ostensibly as a sort of companion sort of You know, helper, (laughs) whatever. But some people say, yeah, that was his boyfriend. Um, So, so he was associated with. um, So there seem to be kind of a few men like that. But I, but I don't know of one named Thomas. I don't even know of any of his friends named Thomas. Um, But, um, but it seems to me not implausible that he could have done something like that.
1: Awesome. And then I think it's Artie, I didn't actually write down who says it, but it seems like it's something Artie would say. So he's figured it out, and <laughs> he knows that his idea is gonna work, and then he just looks at them and goes, I'm no expert, but maybe hang on?
0: <laughs> Which I love because, I should have looked this up, what are, what are, what's the Harry Potter thing that you have to put your hands on? Porky! Porky! <laughs> it's like a porky thing, um... But that to me looks like we all kind of know how this works, right? Like this yes. cool key thing.
1: Oh my god. I love you it. You just blew my mind. I like <laughs> wasn't connecting them, but now sci-fi has bridged the gap from sci-fi to fantasy. Like they've used science in a fictional world to make a fantasy world possible. They invented portkeys. I'm thrilled. <laughs> Thank you for that.
0: Well, maybe Redicus was a wizard and he invented portkeys. keys
1: cannon head cannon now
0: (laughs) (laughs) um so they hold on and then they jump back to the lab and it's almost like
1: a moment of quiet when they realize that they were successful yes and pete and micah are there pete's just like okay that okay (laughs) And, and micah is very worried very confused and very
0: worried and i want to point out that when they get back Joshua kind of touches himself. He's really happy to be embodied. (laughs) Claudia now finally, um, because if I had seen my brother for the first time in 12 years, um, I would have hugged him immediately in the vortex. But I think Claudia being aware of the precarity of the interdimensional vortex was not quite ready to, to say it was safe yet, but now she's safe. She hugs him. Artie, though... He comes to Pete and Micah, and you can tell he's exhausted. He's kind of in need of comfort of his own. And now that Claudia has her brother back, you know, he's not dad for her. Um, and there's the smallest detail, which is that Artie has a bloody nose.
1: Yeah, because he's connected too. And he's he was there witnessing it, just like Claudia was back in the day. He saw it. It's rough. We're going to get to the interaction between Micah and Micah. And him in a minute but a few other things happen first at linus first of all josh says thanks for not giving up and claudia just says shut up which is just a very (laughs) brother sister thing to say i love that um micah says to artie if you do that again i'm not finding you and i quit which for her might as well be i love you i love that but i definitely identify with that like I have found you, I have done what I should do, please don't ever do that to me again. And I think Artie says something like, how did you figure it out, or what did you do? And Pete quotes Mrs. Frederick to sound smart, and Artie immediately knows.
0: Yeah, well, you know what he does, Jill? He says, we gleaned what needed
1: to be gleaned. And he immediately goes, Mrs. Frederick. Yes, (laughs) and and Micah's like, of course, obviously. Um, Which is really sweet and then Artie asks so you worked with Mrs. Frederick on this and he says Mrs. or sorry Pete says Mrs. Frederick is scary if we hadn't found her she'd probably have glared us to death
0: and Artie then Artie's like taking a bite out of a cookie because he's perpetually eating cookies (laughs) and milk which as a lactose person is just disgusting to me (laughs) um but
1: he's he's like with cookie in his mouth nods vigorously like yeah she would have glared you to death (laughs) absolutely that would happen Pete just sort of goes away and does this thing because he's Teflon. Everything just bounces off of him. <laughs> he's a pretty resilient dude. But Micah is left alone with Artie and she mentions it couldn't have been easy losing someone on the job if you want to talk about it. And Artie's like, no, I don't want to. And then he sort of realizes she's being a friend and she's lost someone too. And then he's like, oh, unless, unless you want to talk about it and she says N-n-meh. she's like non-committal and he goes anytime you want to talk is fine and Micah doesn't say anything but she's teary and happy and I just wrote good growth Artie like we know it's yes. good growth for Micah to reach out and actually say I have this emotion and not just bottle it up but for Artie I think it's even more growth for him to notice the emotions in others. He's really not good at it and he's used to not having anyone care about him and so he registered that someone cared about him and his instinct was to just brush it off because he doesn't really feel he needs it. I think he still needs it, but he doesn't feel Mm -hmm. he needs it right now. But he did recognize that someone was hurting and go to help them and I think that's directly because of Claudia. It just tapped into something in him it reminded him of how to relate to people. Yes I
0: couldn't agree more and the last thing I had said about this really nice interaction is that when Micah says like ultimately no uh, she's nodding yes she nods up and down but says no and that gives us the feeling that again it's just a small step of growth because she is really closed off especially to people That she hasn't known for a super long time, but she's beginning to think about it, just like Artie is beginning to think about other people's feelings. So, like, it doesn't doesn't strike me as any less good of growth that they are taking a baby step of offering that bridge and not taking it yet.
1: Yeah, because, I mean, forcing someone to talk about something before they're ready can be hard and rough, but letting (laughs) someone know that the option is there is important yes um yeah and then the last thing I have about the episode is Artie writes notes just I think he's just in the warehouse in the balcony area writing notes and Mrs. Frederick shows up which is just always a delight to me and um and
0: she shows up in her mysterious way but Artie immediately knows that she's there yeah. So unlike Pete and Micah, who are unfamiliar with her not using doors, he's like, "Hello, Mrs. Frederick." Um, you know, he has earned an in-person visit. Yes. And she has appeared in a really great,
1: like, black double-breasted coat, looking pretty serious. Um, and they have a really beautiful, beautiful conversation, which. Yes. First of all, I think she shows up in person because she does care a great deal about Artie. And Mm -hmm. she was real scared and had to do her job and be a boss and direct people on how to, you know, save him. But now he's back and she just needed to see him in person and just be sure that he's okay. Mm -hmm. Um, And she immediately knows how to talk to him. Unlike, Unlike Micah, who was extending the olive branch, and that was good and important in its own way, she was like we're going to be cutting to the chase now and you don't argue with mrs frederick so that's what happened and she intimates that the reason Artie feels guilty is because he pushed josh to teleport in the first place which Artie admits to and he goes this is all my fault like claudia's life wouldn't have been so terrible if i hadn't done this everything is terrible and mrs frederick says and i might have saved gus and I didn't. And we don't know who Gus is, but we do know it's someone who's incredibly important to her. Sorry, my dog came in from outside. Good boy! Um, we don't know who Gus is, but we do know that it's someone incredibly important to her in her past who she was unable to save. Artie says we didn't do a good job protecting Claudia, which is acknowledged by Mrs. Frederick, but the unspoken is you definitely can't save everyone, and... You can't do your best with everyone, even though you try. And that's what Mrs. Frederick says
0: right after, and I I may have saved Gus, but you can't save everyone. And she very, very calmly tacks on, which is something to keep in mind about Latimer and Baring. And this just hit me in the heart where I was like, whoa, Mrs. Frederick just pointed out that the lives of pete and micah are not guaranteed and this tv show does not guarantee them and in fact says like this is a job where you lose people which we knew obviously
1: yeah we knew that like from arty's past but to remind us that these agents in her view aren't special is really scary i would say aren't exceptional like everybody is special yeah i mean I, not special to the job of the warehouse They're, tv shows start at a certain time because that's when that particular story starts and for something like harry potter for example that story starts with him because he is essentially a savior character so he by his nature is special So he has more weight in the series than a normal main character would. These characters, Pete and Micah, don't have that same weight. They don't come into the story with a mission built into them of we are more important to the warehouse than anyone has ever been, you know?
0: Yes, that's exactly what I was thinking, is that these agents are just two of the most recent agents in the history of many agents.
1: Yeah, and that's scary for us because we just met them, and we care a great deal about them already, and we start to think they could just end up someone else's backstory.
0: And this leads us to the end of the episode about Claudia as well, because uh, Mrs. Frederick adds, Claudia has learned too much about the warehouse, and it seems vaguely threatening, uh, because Artie immediately gets defensive and says she wouldn't hurt us, as if to say, like, I see your fear, Mrs. Frederick, and Mrs. Frederick, you know, ends on the eerie line, you know what the options are, suggesting that there's a way for dealing with people who know too much, and maybe, um, you know, I'm thinking of Men in Black or any other spells or things, like, you have ways of dealing with people who learn about the thing they're not supposed to know, And some of them are innocuous, and others in science fiction and fantasy are not
1: innocuous, and that's really frightening. Yeah, and Artie seems very upset that he has to consider options. Like, when she leaves, he's not like, yeah, I know, it's, oh gosh.
0: Yeah, and if I recall correctly, the music gets really daunting and the angle kind of comes up to a higher angle looking down on Artie which gives us the film language of like dun 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 without literally making that sound. (laughs) So it's a very very scary way to end what was otherwise like such an emotionally
1: positive episode. Yeah and I mean I think anytime you end a scene with Mrs. Frederick especially a scene between Mrs. Frederick and Artie it's gonna give a different kind of weight to the show for sure yes yeah so yeah that's all i have
0: that's all i have too so i think that's a great way to end the episode
1: see you next week agents bye (laughs)